Good morning. This is a big birthday for Monica this week. I'm not going to tell you, you're never supposed to reveal the age of a person. But it rhymes with Ordy. It's the worst. Uh, she's joining me at... She's joining me in the, the Ordy Club. Hey, if you have a Bible, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to take some time today and continue our, our series of sermons on All In. Uh, last week, we talked about how we were passionate about generosity. This week, I want to take two of our core values and bring them together because they are so interconnected. And they are, we are living by faith and we are growing in grace. We're living by faith and growing in grace. You can't have access to grace unless you live by faith. Uh, the only way we see uh, God's grace is to walk through the door of faith. And I want to read a portion of scripture to you and then talk to you about uh, what it really looks like to grow in grace and how that is connected to this faith life that we are living. Grace is not just a doctrine. Grace is truly a person. His name is Jesus. And uh, we, we, uh, we're passionate about these values. And these are two that really um, our whole system, our whole belief system hinges upon. And our church is truly connected to and will passionately preach and declare. They'll be a part of our lives, not just our Sunday lives, but our whole life. Somebody say amen. Like, do you believe that Christianity should go beyond Sunday morning experience and Maybe a Wednesday night Bible study, like this should be a life thing. This should consume every aspect and part of our life. Well, let's, let's read this scripture. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter two, I'm gonna read a few verses here, so hang on. I'm reading from the New King James Version, so you can follow along the screens if you don't have that one, but this is what the Bible says. It says, and you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. I'm asking God over these next few moments that you would speak something so clear to us that we would leave this place confident in what you have spoken, without a doubt, knowing that what has been spoken is the word of God it is true for our lives, and we can build our lives on it. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, 
And everybody said, amen. 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 I just, I want to kind of share a few uh, thoughts with you um, from this, from this chapter. And, and it's going to break out into some ideas um, uh, that, that uh, grace actually, things that grace actually accomplishes in our life through faith. But I want to, I kind of want to build a foundation for us to, to walk on so that we have kind of a clear understanding of the basis of the basics of faith and grace. Now, if, if you're not familiar with church, this might help you out a lot. If you are familiar with church, this is just going to be a rehearsal of some stuff you already know. But when God created men and women in the beginning, uh, we failed. Adam failed. Eve failed. And you can blame Eve all you want, but the Bible clearly says Adam was there with her when she did what she did. He could have spoke up, and he didn't speak up. And so they sinned, and they sinned together. And um, because of that, now people are born into sin. Now, from Adam and Eve all the way through to this man named Abraham, God has had a plan. And God's plan has always been to bless his people. Matter of fact, when he created Adam and Eve, he looked at him, he said, be fruitful and multiply. God has always had a plan to bless and multiply his people. But we failed, and God comes in again by his grace he, he, uh, he pours out his grace on this man named Abraham, and he makes him a promise in Genesis chapter 15. He tells him that if you can count the stars and if you look at the sand that is on the, the shore, as, as, as many of the stars as you can count and as many grains of sand are on the shore, that's, that's how I want to bless you. And he made a promise to Abraham. Now, Abraham had, had children, and those children uh, began to make many mistakes. And, and the people of God, the Israelites, those, those born uh, in, in, in the line of Abraham and his family, they began to, to make mistakes. And because of those mistakes, um, they, they found themselves in slavery and in bondage in Egypt. Because they weren't obeying God, really disobedience is just a lack of faith, and we'll talk about that in a minute. In a minute, But they were disobedient to God, now they find themselves in bondage, and here God comes along again by his grace, he rescues them and delivers them out of Egypt, and takes them out of their bondage, and brings them into a promised land. And in this promised land, God establishes this thing that many people know as the law. The law, not only the Ten Commandments, but over 600 other commandments in the book of the law uh, that God had given Moses. And they were to obey this law and keep the commands of the Lord. What happened is that law was established not as a means of righteousness, but a means of governance and guardance. The law was never intended to make people righteous. Faith was always intended to make people righteous. Well, Robbie, how do you know that? Well, when God made a promise to Abraham 430 years before the law, God said this about Abraham. Abraham believed the Lord's promise and the Lord counted him as righteous because of what? His faith. So God made Abraham a promise. Israel walked away from God. They went into slavery. God, by his grace, rescues Israel, he brings them into a promise. He establishes law and a governing system to guard them and to keep them. But after hundreds of years, men have manipulated this into a religious system that now looks nothing like God's intention, and they are using it as a means of righteousness, and they are hurting people with God's law. 
Now what happens is Jesus is born and comes onto the scene. Did Jesus come to abolish the law? No, the Bible tells us clearly that Jesus came to fulfill the law. Can somebody thank God for Jesus? That Jesus came to fulfill the law. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna say something to you to help you understand the difference between the law and grace. There's nothing wrong with the law. There's nothing bad about the law. The problem with the law is that men have manipulated it and turned it into a system that they have used to try and make themselves righteous. But that's not what it is for. So there's a difference between law and grace. Grace is when you get what you didn't deserve, okay? Now, a lot of people confuse grace and mercy. Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. Is there anybody thankful for mercy in the room this morning? I'm thankful for mercy. But I'm thankful for grace because grace is when I get what I don't deserve. In other words, when Jesus came, he came to fulfill the law. And because now the law is fulfilled, my righteousness is secure. My righteousness is secure, not because of my ability to keep it, but because of God's ability to keep it through Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. So there's a massive difference in trying to justify myself by the works of the law and by faith. There's a massive difference. That's why Ephesians 2 tells us that we have been saved by grace through faith, not of works, not of works. Now, can I tell you what the great sin of the world is? The great sin of the world is not maybe what you think it is. The great sin of the world truly is unbelief. It's a lack of faith. So there's where faith comes in. The only way we access the grace of God is through faith. Faith is just simply believing in what God has said. That's what it is. It's simply believing what God has said. Let me give you a few scriptures just to kind of confirm that for you. John 16 and 9 says that the world's sin is unbelief in me. That's what Jesus said. Romans 14 and 23 said this, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. The Bible talking about that group of people in, in, uh, in, in the, the Israelites that didn't make it into the promised land. The reason they didn't make it into the promised land, Hebrews 3 and 19 says, see, we, were, we see that they were not able to enter. Why? Because of their what? Their unbelief. They, they didn't miss out on the promise because they were such bad sinners and they couldn't keep the law. No, they missed out on the promise because they didn't believe what God had said. I, just a little bit of help would be good. So now watch this. Let me give you a couple things about the law and grace. Galatians 3, 17 through 18. I'm trying to help just kind of build some sort of small foundation. For me to truly get into the doctrine of grace, it would take hours and an entire class. I'm trying to just establish some sort of baseline because not everybody in this room today has been in church all of their life. Can we understand that? So just give me a moment. So if you're like, I know all of this already. Okay, we get it. There are people that possibly don't. Okay, Galatians chapter three, 17 through 18 says, this is what I'm trying to say. The agreement that God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. Some of you didn't even know that's in the Bible. That's there. God would be breaking a promise for if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promises. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Can I tell you, the New Testament and the Old Testament are not opposed to one another. God has always desired faith, not works. Come on, is there anybody thankful that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Amen. This is how he has always been. 
So Galatians 3 is so clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures tell us it is through faith that a person has life. The way of faith is different from the way of the law. Galatians 2.21 says this, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. Some people have pulled that scripture out and said, because you keep making mistakes, you keep treating God's grace as meaningless. That's not what the Bible's saying. No, you treat the grace of God as meaningless. Why? For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. There's a, there's a massive difference. I had one person come to me one time and they said, Robbie, doesn't the Bible say in 1 John 3, 24, it says the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them? I said, yeah, but you missed the previous verse. This is God's command, to believe in the name of Jesus Christ and to love your neighbor as yourself. This, this sums up all that we are supposed to do as Christians, to believe in Jesus and love people. Come on, it's that simple. We have complicated it into this mess of stuff that we tell people what they can and can't do, where they can and can't go, what they can and can't watch. And God says, it's not about all of that. I just am asking you to do this one thing. Simply believe in me. And believing in me will help you love people the way I love people. It's that simple. You cannot be saved by keeping the law. Oh, my goodness. Some, some people still think that, that they can, and so they're trying really hard. And they come to you, and they're like, man, I'm trying really hard. I'm like, okay, just, let's just talk about the Ten Commandments for a second. How many of those are you consistently keeping? Well, maybe nine out of ten. Okay, that's a pretty good percentage. Me, I'm like seven for ten. I'm about 70% some days. Some days it's about four out of out of 10. And if we live up to the standard Jesus set, he, he, he said, you've heard it said, don't kill. I say to you, don't even, don't, even, don't even think about it. Don't hate your brother. Don't talk bad about people. Like, if we're talking about that, then Jesus' standard in Matthew and the Beatitudes, then I don't even measure up to Jesus' standard, which is higher than the Ten Commandments even. So, so even if you are seven for 10, the Bible clearly tells us that if you miss one, You've missed them all. So if you're going to go down the route of keeping the commands and believing that that is going to ultimately save you, then you will find yourself falling short when you get to heaven and you face God. The only chance you have is to say, God, I wasn't able to keep them, but I believe that Jesus was able to keep them, so will you receive me based on what Jesus has done and not what I have done? Because six out of 10 isn't enough, nine out of 10 isn't enough. And then if you can keep all 10, there's actually 600 more that are connected. So you have no hope outside of the grace of God. And faith is there so that you can access this grace. All faith does is believe that what God has said is the truth. And when God said that he sent his son into the world to die for the world so that the world could be saved, if you believe that, you are saved, your sins are forgiven, and you are on your way to heaven. What do I have to do after I get saved to stay saved? Keep believing that Jesus Christ is the only way that you're going to make heaven. That's all you got to do. 
Watch this. Some people think when you teach grace that you're lowering the standard. No, it's people who disrespect the law who misinterpret grace. You disrespect the law when you think keeping a few of them makes you good enough. You disrespect the law when you think that not total adherence and partial obedience is all that God wants. You disrespect the law. So who really respects the law? The person who selects a few commands and says, I'm doing my best, or the person who says, the law, wow, the law shouts perfection. I have no chance. I'm completely resting in Jesus. So my salvation in Christ does not rest on a law that I will inevitably break. It rests on a promise that God cannot break that was given before the law. Is that good? Okay. So now that we understand that this is the grace of God, grace is something that God wants us to see, not just at salvation, but he wants us to see it more and more as we grow and mature in our faith. It's not just a one-time occurrence in our life. Grace, which the New Testament consistently translates as this Hebrew word, cherish, is this unmerited favor of God. It's this idea that God would give us Christ's riches at his expense. That God would grace us, that God's favor would be on our lives. And even the word salvation entails more than just being saved from hell. The word saved in Ephesians chapter two, you've been saved by grace through faith, doesn't just mean saved from hell, but it also means this, to heal, to preserve, to make whole. So it is by grace that you are not only saved, but by grace you are made whole, kept healthy, preserved, and blessed. So I don't get a healing because I'm good, I get a healing because of God's grace. I don't get blessed because I'm good. I get blessed because of God's grace. He doesn't preserve me because I'm good. He preserves me because of his grace. He has saved me by grace. Hallelujah. So if, 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 uh, if God's grace is something that doesn't just start at salvation and end there, then, then what is my responsibility towards grace? My responsibility is to keep seeing more and more of God's grace. And when, God's, when we see grace, God sees our faith. When we see grace at work in our life, God sees faith at work in our life. And faith is so powerful. Faith honors God, and God honors faith. All God wants you to see today is his grace. He doesn't want you to see your mistakes He doesn't want you to see your shortcomings. Everybody falls short of the glory of God. He doesn't want you to compare your life with other people. He doesn't want you to see the mistakes and the failures in other people's life. No, he wants you to continuously look at his grace. And when you see his grace, he sees your faith. So what does grace do for us after salvation? It helps us in our sanctification. In other words, grace justifies us and then grace empowers us as we walk with God and become more and more like Jesus. Isn't that good news? That he doesn't just save me and be like, good luck. Try your best. No, he actually saves me and then empowers me to do what he's asking me to do. He doesn't just just ask me to love him. He empowers me to love him by loving me first. 
He doesn't just ask me to do things for him. He empowers me to do things for him by making sure that we know that no matter how much we fail or how many times we fall trying to do things for him, he's still going to love us. So it empowers me to keep trying when everything tells me I should give up and quit. Grace continues in our life. Paul would write, or I'm sorry, Luke would write in Acts, he, he would write about Paul and he would say that Paul would con- encourage people to continue in grace. You're not just saved by grace, but your life, it moves forward in grace. Second uh, Peter 3.18, Peter says this. He says, he said, I want you to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The Bible says about Jesus in Luke chapter 2 and verse 52, it says, and he grew in wisdom and in stature and in grace and favor with God and with men. Jesus' faith in who he was and what he was called to do grew. His, not only did he grow in stature, but he grew in wisdom and he grew in grace with God. He, 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 by the time he was tempted of the enemy, when he started into ministry, he knew fully well who he was because he had so much faith in who God was. It's such a powerful thing. Grace is such a powerful work in our life. Grace is a teacher. Romans 6, 1 through 2. Let's talk about this for a moment. It says, what shall we say then? Paul's been preaching, and he says this incredible statement. He says, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And people are like, I can see people as he's teaching. There are a lot of like, people today who, when you talk about grace, they're like, oh, you're just giving people license to sin. And that's not what Paul was saying. He goes on to say in Romans 6, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin, so how can we live in it any longer? What then? Verse 15 of Romans 6, shall we, shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Why? Titus 2, 11 through 12 gives us some insight into what grace is doing for us now that we are saved. It says this, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. What? Grace is teaching us to deny ungodliness, worldly lust, that we should live soberly, that we should live righteously and godly in this present world. We should be growing in grace. A grace that teaches you that sin is okay is no grace at all. Grace teaches you that we should deny ungodliness, that we should live for God, that we should go hard after God, that we should obey God, that we should go all in for God, that we should give him our whole life, nothing less than all of us. That's what the true grace of God looks like. Growing in grace looks like better decisions. (laughs) we've said this before, man, I am not what I want to be, but I'm definitely not who I used to be. Grace is growing me into the person that I desire to be. We're growing. Grace is, is a teacher. Grace is a protector. Psalm 27, four through five says, the one thing I ask of the Lord, it's one thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will, watch this, conceal me when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary and he will place me out of reach on a high rock. Come on, is anybody thankful that grace is a protector of our life? He conceals me, he hides me, he puts me out of reach. Psalm 91 and 4 says, he will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and your protection. 
Come on, the promises of God are my armor and my protection. When the enemy comes against me, I don't throw up my goodness, I throw up the goodness of God. His goodness, his grace, his love for me, his kindness towards me, him sticking with me when nobody else would stay with me. He is my armor and my protection. God's grace will also carry us. There are just some places in this life that we, we, we have not arrived at because of our goodness. We have only gotten there through the grace of a good God. Is there anybody in the room that agrees with that? Like, I pretty much look at my entire life from, from, from where I am today and where I used to be as a journey of grace. It has been God consistently carrying me throughout this life. A lot of people say, you gotta hang on to God. Well, no, I don't hang on to God. How do you know that, Robbie? Because he calls me sheep. He says, I'm a sheep. And, and can I tell you something about sheep? Sheep don't have hands. They have hooves. Sheep can't hang on. Sheep were designed to be carried. I am not carrying my religion. I am not carrying my faith. My faith is carrying me. Come on, somebody. Grace, God himself is carrying me. I'm not hanging on to him. He's hanging on to me. Whew, that's good news. Isaiah 46 and 4 says this. I will be your God throughout your lifetime. Until your hair is white with age, I made you. I will care for you, and I will carry you along, and I will save you. Grace will show you a way through trouble. Isaiah 43, 1 through 2 says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulties, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. There is no such thing as a grace that gets rid of a problem. Grace doesn't get rid of problems. It carries us through problems. It doesn't allow the problem to burn us up. The fire comes, but it doesn't consume us. The waters hit our life, but they don't overwhelm us. Are you thankful this morning for the grace of God? Come on, growing into this grace of God that takes you through trouble. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, he said, man, I prayed about this thing, this thorn in my flesh, this thing that was driving me crazy. I asked God to take it away three times. He said, no, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Grace is the ability to triumph in spite of the problem. Grace is sufficient power made perfect in weakness. Grace is proven by the fire you walk through, not the fire you didn't feel. Grace, oh, grace is not the absence of scars, but the proof of him. Do you hear me today? You're in this room today, Robbie. You're like, Robbie, you don't know my past. You don't know all I've been through. You don't know all the scars and the wounds in my life. Listen, grace does not mean that you are absent, that wounds are absent or scars are absent. Grace just means that it's proof that God was with you in your trouble. It was proof that God brought you through your trouble. See, when Jesus was resurrected, he could have removed the scars from his hands. He could have removed the scar from his side, but he didn't want to remove it because when he showed himself to his disciples, he wanted to show them that if I can go through this and survive, you can go through this and survive as well. They might have killed me, but I rose from the dead. And they're going to come after you, but you're going to rise from the dead also. I'm just here to announce to you this morning that your scars are not a problem for God. They are actually the problems that God has delivered you from. 
Can somebody say amen this morning? I'm thankful for grace that carries me through. Grace will show you a way out of temptation. It will carry you through trouble, but it will show you a way out of temptation. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 says, the temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. He will show you the way out so that you can endure. God's grace is calling you. Paul said in Galatians chapter one, verse 15, he said, but even before I was born, God chose me, called me by his marvelous grace. Can I tell you this? Your calling today has nothing to do with your qualifications, abilities, or achievements. It's totally a grace thing. And because it is a grace thing, can I tell you what God's grace does for me? It removes four of my greatest fears. And I want, I want, to, I want to give these to you this morning because as you're growing in grace, these fears are going to diminish more and more in your life. That's why you need to continue in grace, not works. It's not after I'm saved, now I need to add some work so that I can truly make heaven. No, our whole life, it begins and, and, and thrives in and ends in his grace. And because of his grace, I have these four fears that are diminishing in my life. First one is this, the fear of man. Proverbs 29, 25 says, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. If you fear men, you will not trust God. You have to believe what God says over what men say. The word snare is such an important word. A snare is something that doesn't kill you, but it traps you. It traps you. There is a neutral in the kingdom. There is a forward, there is a backward, but there is also a neutral. It's called the fear of man. The fear of man, it's a trap. It doesn't, it doesn't kill you, it just, it just puts you in neutral. Can't go anywhere because of what you're afraid of. The second fear it diminishes is a fear of the future. When you fear the future, it's because you don't know who holds your future in his hands. When, 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 when I realize that my life is completely an act of God's grace, then I don't fear men and I don't fear the future because he knows my life from beginning to end. And he has a plan for my life. Whether that's a long life or a short life, God has a plan for my life. He has a purpose for my life. So I'm not afraid of tomorrow because I know who holds tomorrow and holds me in his hand. I know who, who's got me. For another thing is this. Here's the third one. It diminishes the fear of failure. Diminishes the fear of failure. When I fully trust God, this is what I begin to realize. Obedience is my job. The outcome belongs to God. The New Testament puts it like this. Some water, some plant, but it's God who brings the increase. In other words, it's my job to obey what God has said, but the increase comes from God. Whatever's supposed to be, that's on God. My only job is to obey what he says, and then I trust him with the outcome. So it diminishes the fear of failure. And lastly, it diminishes a fear of the enemy. Because I'm not fighting for a victory, I'm fighting from victory. I'm not afraid of an enemy that is already defeated. 
I'm not afraid of the devil because his fate has already been sealed. There's more power in the name of Jesus than 10,000 devils. Come on. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So I don't fear the enemy because I know he's defeated. Would you stand on your feet this morning and give God praise that the grace of God is defeating fear in your life. It's diminishing fear of failure, the fear of man, fear of the future, and the fear of the enemy. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you today for your grace. We thank you that we have access to your grace by faith. Faith is simply believing in what you said. Today, God, as we leave this place, we choose to believe what you have said over what men have said. We choose to believe what God's word says about us over what people have said about us. We choose to believe what, what you have declared over our lives and not what family and friends have sometimes said over our lives. God, we leave this place in faith. And because we leave in faith, we now have access to the grace of God. It is not just our salvation, but it is our healing. It is, it is our preserving. It is, it, is our, it is our lasting. It is how we make it through this life. God, we thank you for access to grace. The Bible even tells us, it says, hey, when you're in a trouble, when you're in trouble, when you're in difficulty, come boldly into the throne room. There you're gonna find the grace and the mercy that you need in your time of trouble. By faith, God, we take hold of your unmerited favor in our life. We look for it. We search for it. We look to see it. And when we see it, you see us. When we see your grace, you see our faith. Thank you for access. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed, if you would. If you're here in this place today and you say, Rob, I need to give my life to Jesus. And I want to make that decision today. Maybe you're here and you say that for the first time. Or maybe you have been away from God and you've been doing your own thing. And you want to you acknowledge you want to acknowledge him again, and you want to walk with him again. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. But you want to you commit your ways to him again. I'm going to count to three. When I do, I just want your hand to go up real quick. And we're going to pray for you. One, two, three. Throw that hand up if that's you. I need to give my life to Jesus today. Rob, I need forgiveness of my sins. Amen. Let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you gave your life for me. I give you my life today. Take it all. Have your way. Use me for your glory. I repent of my sins. Confess you as Lord. Thank you for loving me. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, church, can we put our hands together and just bless God? It's awesome.